This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hey guys, it's Bird Shooter. It's been a few months. Had a lot of my plate here, but uh, we're back and hope to pick up the pace with podcasts uh, this winter. I'm going to start with a topic that's uh, heavily discussed. Last uh, six eight months, and that is the expected 2016 surge of Appalachian Trail through hikers. We're going to talk to um, Edward Popeye Welsh. He uh, went southbound this past year. I met him uh, on Trey Mountain, only a few days from the end of his journey, and we're going to discuss just some of the myths of southbound hiking and why it might actually make sense to you, especially if uh, you're looking to uh, do a hike in 2016. So that's it. Here's the show. All right. This is Bird Shooter. I'd like to welcome Edward Popeye Welsh to the show. He just completed a southbound hike on the Appalachian Trail, and I had a chance to hang out with him on Trey Mountain in North Georgia only a few days before the uh, end of his hike at the southern terminus on Springer Mountain. And after heading straight to the hospital upon his completion of the AT, he's fortunately recovered and is with us now. Popeye, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, uh, I'm glad to be here, and, and hello, Internet. Uh, and I'd say uh, hangout is an understatement. Got drunk is the uh, probably more uh, more appropriate. Oh, well, yeah, that, that might have happened. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. So should we leave the listeners hanging uh, about how you finished the trail in the hospital? Oh, or yeah. um, Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's an old story. So the um, Appalachian... You know what? Let, let's tease them. Let's not tell them till the end of the show. How's Sounds that? great to me. Because I don't even know the story, so you're not just teasing them. You're teasing me. Yeah, sounds good to me. It's, it's, it's a fun story. That that will force them to listen to the whole interview. <laughs> so so that said, the Appalachian Trail Conference, uh, a lot of lot of press over the last year about an expected surge in AT through hikers in 2016. Of course, a couple big movies, uh, Wild, Walk in the Woods, have uh, come out. Lots of interest in backpacking. And the uh, ATC, as they are called, are recommending that uh, more people consider what you did, Popeye, a southbound hike, or potentially doing some kind of flip-flop hike. So that is the big topic tonight, and one that you've taken to heart. So let me ask you the first big question. Why did you choose to go southbound? You know, it, it was timing. It's, it's the reason most people end up doing southbound. Uh, parts of your life finish up after May, and you, you don't want to be on a, on that terrifying schedule of hitting Springer, you know, with maybe four, four and a half months as your only amount of time you can do it. So it ended up being like, I got I to leave on June 10th, and southbound it was. And I, yeah. I was excited. Most, most, yeah, I, most of the Southbounders I met when when I went through that they did it because of timing, not because of surge. So that that's consistent with what I've seen before. Yeah, and and for me, I mean, the idea of doing the hard part first, like really jumping into the, the challenge of the thing, I mean, that was a draw for me. It made more sense to me. I'd rather I'd rather see the worst it's going to be, and then you know be able to make choices and adjustments based on that. And it, and that really it just worked out for me. I mean, it's it's I don't understand. I I wouldn't be able to do a northbound hike now, like if I were to do another one. So I mean, and you bring up a good point, right? Most um, 
through hikers go north. Mm-hmm. They follow a spring along the Appalachians. Earl Schaefer was the first to kind of take that to heart when he did the trail in 48. Um, some primary reasons, which I kind of wanted to go through with you, and what I thought we could maybe do is debunked the, the need to go northbound. No, oh, absolutely. Um, but the reasons that were always given to me were bugs, weather, um, services that are generally catering to through hikers, uh, the community. And when you go southbound, and I'm sure you'll talk about this to some degree, um, one of the big negatives was, hey, you're, you're facing the absolute hardest part of the trail first. So let's consider these myths kind of one by one, and you can kind of give your opinion. Um, why don't we start with Katahdin and when you started, like, your hike and 100-mile uh, wilderness. When did you set out? Well, I started on June 10th, and Katahdin, like, I I was excited for Katahdin, and I, I – didn't expect it to be as hard as it was. Katahdin's hard. Katahdin's a difficult mountain. Uh, there's that part right when you get out of the tree line where, you know, there's just like a six-foot, five-foot cliff, and there's nowhere to go left or right, and then you see there's a little bit of rebar sticking out of it, and that's your handhold, and you're supposed to kind of, you know, wedge yourself up. And I was like, wow, this is day one, and I'm doing this. Um, but you know, it, it was hard. It was a great, great challenge to start it out. Um, the hundred mile wilderness was, you know, I lucked out, you know, to go into the bugs. I didn't get bugs and I, I actually was born in Maine and I know what black flies are all about. And I mean, I literally saw two, not, not two swarms, but like two black flies. So, I mean, like it was, you know, mosquitoes here and there, but, uh, weather wise, at least the very start, it was, it was really moderate. But, you know, it, I, I'm sure the northbound experience is similar. I mean, you're, you're throwing the dice for weather. So, like, you know, the black flies I should have gotten, but I didn't. Uh, so I, I'll just count myself lucky on that. Uh, you were you definitely lucky because I've been in black flies before, and, and they are torture. Oh, they will tear you limb from limb. Oh, I mean, you can sit here and talk about it all day long, but until you've actually been through it, you can never fully appreciate how much they suck. Yeah. Now, you're, you're spot on on that. Uh, you know, the mosquitoes were pretty intense, but, you know, from talking to northbounders, the, the mosquito experience, it was similar. It was just in different places, you know. And, of course, my, my trail finished up with no mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a northbounder, you're going to get mosquitoes, so I, you can almost take them off the table, right? Yeah. It's, it's really black flies you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, the uh, I, you know, to take it off the table, there are so many services on the AT that, I mean, there were times that there were um, uh, hostels that were open only for the bubble. Um, and and certainly the trail magic, you know, is an entirely different experience. But as far as paid services, it, you're not missing out on that much. And it's a pretty short list of places that were closed. And almost all of them, if you called like a week in advance and said like, hey, I'm probably going to be passing through, they'd open up for you. I mean, they're, they're mom and pop shops, you know. It's not like something that needs to be ramped up. So you could just call and they'd, they'd make arrangements and, you know, treat you like a, uh, any other AT through hiker. Yeah, so plan ahead. That's a good tip. I didn't even think about that. When, when you started off in June, um, were, how many people were you around you? Because when you go northbound, you're in this massive group um, in this era. And in my era, it wasn't, I don't think, as massive. But I, I, um, I'd say um, less than uh, you, but... Um, uh, certainly more than, than there were in the past. I, I, well, but my first day, there were 10 people. Uh, okay. And, you know, following them, just a, just a little uh, note before I forget it, uh, I, 
following them, I think that one, six of them finished of those ten. So okay. I mean, like a crazy ratio of those first ten. Um, but at, it was pretty consistent ten a day, and you know, you you pass people and be passed by people. Um, I think the most camaraderie that was developed was in the hundred mile because you're all just kind of thrust into it. You know, I, I think people gathered together more than they uh, they might have because. You know, I mean, the 100 miles is intimidating on day one. You know, I mean, like, yeah. it, it, it's a lot. It seems like a lot. I mean, right. it ends up being a lot easier. Like, people don't tell you how flat the 100 mile is, that it's got a couple mountains that you got to climb over. But really, I mean, I, my first 20-mile day, well, 19-and-a-half-mile day was in the 100 mile. And I didn't repeat that until uh, Vermont. So let's help out the listeners here with the 100-mile wilderness. Mm-hmm. If you're going southbound, the first section that you hit, what once you leave Baxter essentially is uh, the Hundred Mile Wilderness, which is a, a area that is true wilderness. I mean, essentially there are no paved roads. You go across some dirt roads that are essentially old old logging roads, right? Yeah. But there's not there traditionally has not been services back there. But I understand now that there's people doing food caches and uh, there's a couple camps that that occasionally will open up and cater to through hikers. Can, can you talk about oh, that? Oh, absolutely. Just, uh, yeah, the, the, the remoteness? The, the camp that was uh, uh, open in the past closed the last year, and it was actually like a main hunter's cabin. And it was supposed to be pretty amazing, but uh, I missed it by a year. Um, I actually did the food drop, and that – so I, the 100 miles is, you know, it's a straight 100 miles. Uh, the, the, the sign that warns you of the danger of, uh, of the trail uh, says – you know, pack for 10 days, you know, pack food for 10 days. Don't underestimate it. Um, and so I knew this. I went to the grocery store with my wife, who was, you know, of course, excited and terrified for me hiking the Appalachian Trail and gathered 10 days worth of food, which ended up adding up to, I want to say, like 13 pounds, uh, 12 pounds. Uh, and my wife had read, of course, that, you know, a through hiker eats two pounds a day. I'm like, not when I'm starting. I, I, I know what I eat when I'm backpacking because I've done plenty of backpacking before this through hike. And she actually stopped me. She's like, no, you're buying eight more pounds of food. So I ended up going and buying eight more pounds of food. I had a full 20 pounds of food uh, that I was going to carry in. So I found one of the people who does the, uh, uh, the food drop. It's actually the um, uh, wherever the hostel is in Mildnocket. I can't quite remember the name of it. But they actually do... Uh, shuttle services and food drops. So I had food dropped halfway. When I got to it, I hadn't even gone through half of my food. So I actually had timed things out correctly. So I was a trail angel on the trail in the 100 mile, handing out food to other hikers, <laughs> which was fun. Uh, and it's, you know, it, 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 I think it's actually a more robust, the roads there, than they were in the past, because I actually saw lots of you know, Subarus and Hondas driving around in the, the, the back roads. And there are just tons of um, uh, beautiful little lakes that you're passing. And more often than not, it's got a, a, a mainer with a kayak who's hunting out there. So and you'll see caches of kayaks around there. So it, it, I wouldn't say the 100 miles of wilderness, like, you know, was the best name for it. It's like the 100 miles of difficult resupply. And, yeah. But, I mean, it, it is like, you know, you are just kind of out there. And if you do run into trouble, like, you know, there really wasn't much cell service there. It was probably the most difficult place to get in contact with the outside world. Uh, and, uh, you know, the roads are pretty, pretty sporadic. Um, so, I mean, you're, you are out there, but it, it, it's not, you know, it's not as terrifying as I expected it to be. It's, it's a lot more approachable. Yeah, I mean, when I went through 
first of all, we didn't see anybody. We didn't even see hunters. I mean, it was pretty much just through hikers that I saw in the hundred mile wilderness, and we had nobody running caches. There was there was nobody feeding anyone. Um, so it's come a long way. Yeah, I mean, but it's still it's still pretty damn remote, right? Oh, it Especially, is. Yeah, you you yeah. are you are in the middle of nowhere. I it really is the most remote I felt on the entire trail. Uh, there are a couple peaks that you hit where like you realize you take a spill and like it's it's 48 hours before like you know somebody gets to you and gets you out. So I mean like it's pretty exciting. So so how fired up were you when you hit Munson? Because I mean. <clears throat> Having spent ten, I mean, I know how I felt going northbound and hitting Abel Bridge. Um, yeah, you must have been ecstatic to see town, right? Oh yeah, I couldn't wait. I mean, like that was that was the uh, that was the gold medal. I mean, that was like you, you you go into it and you're you're so nervous and you you feel like you never feel as dirty on the trail as you do in your first like week and a half or so. Uh, that's when you actually notice your smell. You notice the grit on you. You notice like you've been out for a while. You notice you're losing weight. Um, all all the real jarring things for me kind of were in that time. Uh, and then you come into Monson. You know, I've been out for I think I did the hundred miles in six and a half days. Um, and uh, it's it was it was like a metropolis. It was it was you know like walking into Manhattan. It was it was beautiful. Yeah, and where did you stay in Munson when you hit, um, oh. which is essentially the first town that you hit going southbound, right? Yeah, I stayed at, oh, God, not Lakeshore, but Shaw's. I stayed at Shaw's, and it's uh, now run by Poet and Hippie Chick, uh, so there's a change of ownership over there. And it's a young couple who both uh, did a through-hike relatively recently and wanted to get back into it, and, and Shaw's was up for sale, so they jumped on that. And they are just brilliant. You know, they, they did the, you know, it's like an... Uh, they do a all-you-can-eat breakfast that was that was monumental. Uh, they do a nice little gear shakedown if you're if you're interested in it. They have a nice little shop. I mean, it's an amazing spot. And Monson's amazing, you know. I mean, it's Monson like it, it feels like you know something that you know a place where Stephen King would write a novel, except you know it's all rainbows and butterflies, not you know vampires and dragons. Yeah, they're obviously keeping up with the true. <clears throat> excuse me, the feeding. Um, style of the the shaws because man they fed you like oh my god back in the day they definitely took care of you oh yeah yeah it, it was it was it was monumental it was wonderful hey so um w- wingfoot who wrote the book in my day and I, I don't know the current the who's the current author which which guidebook that's actually a great question for you did you use when you uh did the trail oh yeah a wall is uh is the most ubiquitous um uh, uh trail guide that you'll see uh and that's um basically the same book there are obviously sections where he didn't change things for northbounders. Like, I mean, it's all the same information, but sometimes, like, let's say you're uh, at mile, like, you know, you, let's say I'm north of um, Harper's Ferry in the last 10 miles. Uh, it, it, I'll walk those 10 miles, and then it'll say, and you're going to walk on a towpath. And I'm like, wait, no, I just walked the towpath. And, you know, he just didn't cut it for the northbounders. So the northbounders would say, once you cross the bridge out of Harper's Ferry, you're going to walk a towpath. So, like, it, it, like you, you just didn't necessarily reverse it. But it, all the information's there. It's a great guide. Yeah, and, I mean, I think he inherited that from Wingfoot. I believe so. Yeah. I believe Wingfoot was the person that he got a lot of the uh, uh, GPS data and base data from. 
Well, and Wingfoot used to have a saying, and his saying was that um, when you hit Vermont, you've done 80% of the work and 20% of the miles. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about that? Because the Northeast is definitely tough. I mean, again, it gets back to one of the myths of why you shouldn't go southbound, and that is that you're facing the absolute hardest part of the trail first. It was spot on. Like, I, like I, I, we, we all joked about as northbounders, and like there really is this weird rivalry between uh, northbounders and southbounders. Um, but as, as northbounders, like yeah, we, we, we definitely held on to that, and it was like, it really was true. Like the first month, month and a half on the trail was like you know exhausting. I mean, it was it was a, it was a true trial physically, uh, not mentally, because you know you are in southern Maine, which is some of the prettiest countryside this country like has to offer. Full stop. And then and then the whites, which like I don't understand how the whites are like you know the mountain range in uh in uh, northern vermont isn't a national park i've been to national parks who that don't don't hold a candle to it i mean you're just up there above tree line and it has this unnaturally low tree line so you're just you know without being at like you know ten thousand feet you feel like you're on the top of the alps or the rockies and it's it, yeah, you know you know what it is papa it's live free or die yeah, damn there's great. no way new hampshire is turning that place yeah you, national government you are absolutely right uh, so like it, it's like every day is really hard. Like I, like there there are just times when you're just going uphill, uh, and, and when I say uphill, I mean like you're you're scrambling over boulders and rocks and roots and at this kind of you know uncomfortable steep angle, and you always have to watch your step. And then all of a sudden, you walk out of the whites, and the trail turns from you know rocks and and ankle breaking falls and 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 challenges that you're you know you, you take a moment to, to to you know figure out that you're capable of uh of handling and then it turns into a pine needle covered path that just rolls over mountains i mean it just it's it's it was jarring i actually slowed down because i was like waiting for the other shoe to drop like you know i didn't hit the like you know big miles right out of uh the whites and into um uh, southern New Hampshire and Vermont, uh, it took me a while to realize that this is just the new normal. And I think what happens is, like, if you go north, the trail kind of keeps scaling up. So, like, it, it, it's not, it's not like life in that in that manner. It's like, you know, when you're a kid, if you, know, you, shin your knee, you know, skin your knee, the world's about to end, you know. And if you're in your 40s and you're single and you're dating and a girl dumps you, you're like, well, whatever, you know. I mean, like, it's... Like you, life keeps throwing you harder things as you go along, and if you're a northbounder, the trail keeps throwing you harder things if you as you go along. But like you know, if you start southbound, it's all hard right off the bat, and it's boom, and then it's just, it, it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. Exactly, it's just like, like it's all difficult, and you just kind of accept that that's what it is, you know. And then and then all of a sudden it starts getting easier and easier and easier, and then it becomes a mental game. Well, so you got to figure that if, you know, if you make it to Vermont, it's like, wow, I just did like the hardest part of the trail. So I can make this if uh, if I just want to be out here long enough. Right. Yeah. But I think uh, that undersells the mental game. I think that, you know, if you if you can get through the Green Tunnel in uh, uh, Virginia as a northbounder, like um, you're going through a similar experience as a southbounder going through Pennsylvania. You know, that's when. Like, it's all exciting and terrifying and hard to start. I think either way you come. I think it's more physically difficult um, if you go southbound uh, initially. But I think the mental game comes in. And it might even be a bigger deal because, 
you know, you got winter coming in, you got shorter days at the end, and uh, you have, you know, less less of the exciting challenge, you know, towards the end. I mean, I, I was almost envious of the people on, you know, the North Boundaries who got to finish in Southern Maine and finish with Katahdin. Yeah, so we, we talked about some of the northern states. I mean, what, what do you think was the hardest state for you? You know, I, I really do think southern Maine. I think, you know, Maine as a whole for me, but even though northern Maine is, is you know, relatively tame, but it's still your first, you know, week, week and a half out. Uh, southern Maine, and I actually had a lot of uh, northbounders agree with me that southern Maine is just, it's the hardest. It's for- yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. And so for the listeners, not the 100-mile wilderness, but when you're closer yeah. to the New Hampshire-Maine border. Yeah, when you're doing the big lows and, you know, uh, they're the, I actually – my first experience in the Appalachian Trail was doing the Moosic Notch. Uh, my my <laughs> uncle yeah, took me out there when I was like ten or eleven, and it was a playground for me. You know, I mean, you're a kid. Yeah, you yeah. just you know, uh, the Moosic Notch. Like after going through it, okay, it, if you don't mind me explaining for the listeners, it's a uh, um, it's a, a notch. It's a valley, you know, up north, and they basically it's uh, two mountains that come really close to hitting each other, except they have sheer walls. Uh, that get within about 40 feet or so. Uh, and so you got sheer cliffs on either side for about a mile, uh, and then it's just strewn with house size, Volvo size boulders, and you have to climb over and under, and, like, you know, there's some real exciting, challenging moments. And so, like, I think everybody gets really excited about the times where you have to climb underneath boulders and literally take your pack off, drag it behind you because it won't fit underneath, and you've got, you know... 500 tons of boulder over your head uh, and then, you know, climb out the other side. My favorite were uh, there were these moments in Mahuasic Notch where it was like two boulders that were relatively high up. You're, you're crossing them and then there's this gap that's like, you know, two feet wide. But it's a 20 feet foot drop if you like, you know, look down. So, I mean, it's a two foot gap. You could step over that any day of the week. But on the Appalachian Trail, you got your back, uh, your pack on and you you have to take a little leap of faith. It's a tiny little leap of faith, but man, it's it's scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, right? Like the way you got to go into the notch is, uh, hey, look, this is going to be hard. It's 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 going to take a lot of time, and I'm going to just have fun with yeah, it. Yeah. If you go if you go in with any other atti- attitude, you got a problem. Yeah, that's what I was I was telling everybody. It's like it's either scary and the hardest mile on the trail, or it's you know difficult and the funniest funnest mile of the trail. And for me, it was fun. It was a blast. Yeah, which gets to the need to have a good attitude, right? Mm. Like that's probably the most important thing that you can have when you through hike, because you're, for for lack of a better way to say it, shit is going to happen, and you're going to have to deal with it. You know? Well, that that'll go to the story at the end of the trail, but you know, yeah, exactly. That's coming. It's coming. Uh, Listeners, be patient. We're getting there. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it was it was like it was a lot of fun, but it was it was like you know it was really intense and really just and, and the the views you get up there are really amazing. You feel really remote. Uh, I mean, the whites were really exceptional and beautiful, but you are hiking from hut to hut, so it's not shelters. It's actually four walled things with a crew of people. You don't stay there because they charge one hundred fifty dollars a night. But you stop by there and get water and get baked goods and you know so I mean it's beautiful and oh if it wasn't like that when you, when you were there the whites are a whole different game. I, I didn't know they were charging 150. Now granted, I went through 20 years ago, but I think it was like I mean it was still a lot. It was 75, 80 bucks. Oh, yeah. I had no idea it was 150. Oh, it's buck 50 plus tax. Plus, yeah, I mean like it's 
Yeah, and like, which, in honesty, like, I can understand them charging that. It's, it's like they sell out every night, uh, so it's, it's you know, a little supply and demand. And like, they're they're amazing cabins on the tops of mountains, you know. So I mean, and they cook you an entire breakfast and dinner, and they're. There are actually the best privies on the trail are like actual bathrooms that they have, but they have a little fan to keep blowing the air away from the hole. So like it's like it's it's a nice place to be. Um, but as a through hiker, I mean, you know, this isn't, um, you know, a two week trip. You know, this is a five month you know endeavor and it's just too expensive to throw 150 a night at anything. Well, I mean, to your point and in fairness to the uh to the AMC who runs runs the uh, sh- the the huts there. I mean, they do feed you two meals, yeah. and they they got to pack that food in. Yeah. There's no donkey, there's no helicopter. Somebody's carrying that food up to the hut, right? Which so, which is uh, like I think they get frustrated with through hikers, but the one time that they they appreciate them is the fact that through hikers will eat anything. You you say it's yeah. free, and they're like, yeah. So they have to hike out their trash, except when through hikers are coming through. And hey, except for you, and we fixed you a gourmet dinner in Georgia, and you didn't touch it. Didn't touch it. I should have known there was something oh, wrong with I you. I was in time. bad shape. We'll, we'll get to that, though. Just just to tease the <laughs> listeners a little bit more. Well, did you have a little bit of the um, uh, southbound-northbound rivalry going on while you were on the trail? or You know, honestly, that there weren't that many southbounders. There were so few of them that it, it was a novelty to meet one. And exciting, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was going northbound, I think I met my first southbounder somewhere in, in Pennsylvania. And I shared a shelter with him. It was just me and him. Yeah. And it was really cool. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. There was absolutely no rivalry. It was more of fascination, right? Um, every southbounder I met back in that day um, was really exciting to talk oh, to. Oh, yeah. There was absolutely no rivalry whatsoever. But, you know, this that was a long time ago. Yeah. So if you want to talk to that, I think that would be interesting to you. Oh, no, it, it, it's, it, apparently it, it has developed, uh, I think, as more Southbounders hit. And, like, I, I think that when you have uh, – people are finishing a journey as intense as that and people are just starting. It's just you, – you're coming from it, – it, it's like two alien worlds, you know. I mean, it, one's a glimpse back in the past. Uh, and one's a glimpse in the future, but neither of us like what they see, you know. So uh, I, it, it, it's funny, you know. I think that the the one weird uh, uh, insult that I heard from North Carolina to South about it several times was little beard, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, and maybe some of that rivalry. Um, happens because you've got northbounders that are hanging out together day after day, you know, week after week, and. Um, you know, they just build that sense of community. Do you want to talk about the sense of community? Because that was another reason that was given to me um, when when I was planning my through hike on where you should go north. And that is that, hey, you got this big community of people around you. When things are tough, they'll keep you up. They'll build you up. They'll make you want to keep going. I mean, it sounds like as a southbounder, you now have that community. Maybe a better community because it's smaller, right? Well, you know, I think that um – that you have a choice when you're going southbound on whether or not you want to hike alone. I mean, I, for the most part, the uh, people I started with and people I really kept up with, they stayed in packs of three, two, three, five uh, people. I actually hiked on my own for the majority of it. And uh, like I'd, I'd hike with somebody for four days and then hike on my like, you know, either hike ahead or slow down 
and then hike at my own pace and be on my own for like, you know, two weeks or so. Uh, so I, I, I mean, coming onto the trail as a bartender, you know, for 15 years, I was constantly on and engaging, you know, people. So the opportunity to be quiet in the woods was something I reveled in. And I, the thing is, like, you know, I mean, I, I think that the southbound group does have the option of that. But you can also walk away from it. And if you lose your group on the uh, um, uh, southbound at this point, like, you can be three, four days in either direction. Well, probably two, three days uh, in either direction of another group to, like, you know, to, to hike with. And I definitely found a lot of people who are in between groups. Um, and northbound if you're anywhere near the bubble, like if you're within kind of two weeks of uh, uh, the people who leave from March 15th through April 15th, uh, you, there's going to be people on the trail within a mile and a half of you uh, where, where you're camping at the end of the night, unless you're in the, like, you know, choosing ridiculous weird spots to camp, to stop camp. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a big selling point for going southbound, right? Is, is you have, I mean, you just base have a lot less people around you yeah. if, 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 if that's what you want. And, I, and there were a few Southbounders that I met, and that was the reason they went Southbound. But, again, things were very different uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I think at this point, like, uh, going Southbound, you, you have the choice. You know, it's not, it's not something you're self-imposing uh, because you can, you can walk away from it, but it's always there. Uh, where, you know, with, with Northbound, it, it becomes, you know, so crowded and like that, you know, you're just, it, it is, you're going to be around people. Like you might have long, long moments of isolation, but in any, any two, three uh, days, you're going you're gonna to see a bunch of through hikers. So you and I talked about around the campfire about this, and that is, I think a southbound hike today is a lot like a northbound hike was in my time, right? Like, um, I think about the same number of people are coming southbound that were going northbound 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, another thing, though, that, that was cited when I set out was weather, in that you're better off going north because you're hiking with spring, and you are less likely to have, you know, really, really bad weather during your hike i'm kind of curious to get your take on um how cold it was in the beginning how wet it was um did you run into snow um how did weather impact your hike i guess that's the question oh you know i mean not at all i ended up with a lot of rain here and there uh if you remember that uh like hurricane that rolled through that will approach the east coast in uh i think it was september august um I mean, I had two weeks of rain in the middle of that, but otherwise it was it was pretty spot on. I mean, I've talked to people who have had through hikes, uh, and you know, I mean, there are there are legendary through hikes of rain where, like, you know, if if you went this year and hiked northbound, you were hiking it the entire time. I so I that's all I dealt with. I didn't see a, a lick of snow. I think I might have had four freezing nights on the trail, and they're all towards the end. And uh, up in Maine, oof. Uh, like 65 degrees during the day, dropping down to, you know, 45 at night at the coldest. It was beautiful. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was significantly colder when I went through Maine, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, so I, I got to tell you, you had a bad draw when you came through Georgia because in, in probably southern North Carolina because we had an unseasonable amount of rain this this past year. Um, in the fall, normally it's very, very dry here. Yeah. And I, I think there was like a week or two where it just seemed to rain every day. 
So if you're sitting here telling me that weather was not a factor, then you probably had worse weather than normally you would have had. So that, that's a statement about going south. Oh, yeah, probably. But, I mean, I think that it, uh, I, I'm sure you remember from your hike. Um, so, I mean, I started out with really nice um, uh, rain gear, you know. like So I'd, I'd yeah, it start raining and I'd get kitted out. And then you start hiking and you start sweating inside your gear and you'd end up taking it off because you were just as wet anyways. You just had something else that was wet in your pack. So I ended up kind of getting rid of rain gear earlier on, and I, and then I tried to avoid hiking in the rain. And then you realize you're losing days, so you start hiking in the rain. And by the time I got to Virginia and it really started raining on me, I kind of accepted being wet, you know? I mean, like, I kind of stopped caring whether or not it was raining on me. Uh, so I didn't really notice. It really was only when it, like, kind of got into that 45-degree um, almost freezing rain that I'd, I'd be aware of it and try to make intelligent decisions. And I still didn't, you know, I still actually had a few times where I, I wasn't scared or like upset. I just got real frustrated because my hands had seized up to the point where I couldn't move them. So I couldn't undo zippers to eat, <laughs> you know, I, like no. when I was stopping okay. for lunch. Right. But I mean, that's just, that, that, that's just being an idiot, you know, and that's just part of my experience on the Appalachian Trail. Where, where did uh, weather impact you the most? Was there a state, uh, like, well, any, a good story where you were freezing, you were miserable? I mean, everybody's got one of those. Yeah, I think that was Virginia, like where I was just, well, okay. So my, my father lives in London right now, and he was very excited for my trip on the, the trail. So he, he decided to fly out and join me, and we were just going to do some slack packing. So not, not full backpacking. We weren't going to do anything overnight. Just a light backpack, some water snacks, and, uh, you know, you know let, let's go. And so he's an avid runner, so I decided, you know, he used to run me into the ground when I was a kid. So I was going to walk him into the ground. So we set out to do a, um, a, a section. If, you're, if, if you've hiked the trail or you've looked into the trail or seen the poster for, uh, uh, for a walk in the woods, uh, you might have seen or know about McAfee's Knob. So we decided to do that section, really, really iconic, beautiful uh, uh, section of the trail. Uh, we go out there. It's been drizzling and raining for a week, and we, I, I couldn't have hiked my father into the ground better if it had been dry and perfect because the, the, we did a 26-mile section, and the skies opened up, and it's all ridge walking. <laughs> it, it was all like, you know, the the... the 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 hardest thing about hiking, like the hardest section of the trail for me, like were those sections when you're hiking, you know, the razor's edge of a ridge. So you've got like a granite sheet that's at a 45, you know, 50 degree angle and you're just walking on the top of it. And it's fine. You don't even notice it when it's sunny and clear. But when it's raining and, you know, there's a little bit of moss on there, every step is threatening to kill you. So like I. I, I was able to, you know, A, hike my dad into the ground, have him have the time of his life, and be able to pass on a little bit of, like, you know, trail knowledge. Like, you know, don't trust any route when it's wet. They're all made of uh, WD-40 and, yeah, you know, true. And, and make smart decisions that way. So I think that was probably the, the most memorable day uh, while, while on the trail for, for weather. You know, I mean, something you said that I just want to comment on, and that was when I got off the trail and I'm 
not taking care of myself like I used to. But when I got off the trail, I was in great shape. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to start. I'm going to run, and keep keep this weight off, and stay in great shape. I went out for a three mile run after hiking almost 2,200 miles, and I hurt like hell. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So. It doesn't matter if you run. I mean, running will absolutely help you for cardiovascular reasons, yep. but in terms of muscles, so they are completely different. Totally different muscles that you're absolutely correct. And and that's why I didn't run at all before I started hiking the trail. Right. I mean, I, it does. I mean, it doesn't hurt you. Mm. There's absolutely no question. It probably helps you, but it should, don't expect your muscles to, uh, to, to be tip top just because you're a, you know, a marathoner, right? Yeah. I actually, I mean, I, I as somebody like you know, in in my you know mid late thirties, um, I uh, specifically didn't do too much exercise before the trail because I was concerned with like kind of long term joint problems. And if you kind of keep working your body, like you know, to develop yourself for the trail, and the only way to do it, you know, develop the right muscles is really to walk and walk up and down hills. You, you're putting pressure on the joints that you're going to put pressure on in the trail. So, I mean, I, I came on the trail and I was, you know, slightly overweight, maybe 10, 15 pounds, you know, and uh, used the trail as my fitness program. Yeah, and many people do. There's no doubt about that. Hey, so let me ask you, Popeye, about about the um, the shorter days of the season, right? Because when I met you in, in Georgia – it was getting dark at 5.30, and I think during my hike when I finished uh, around mid-October, and you, you finished around mid-November, yeah, right? Yeah, I think you finished, like, right before Thanksgiving, didn't you? Uh, never before teeth. So I had, oh, I had a, a, a week and a half to recover before I ate everything. Right, right. So, so I mean, even though we're much further south in Georgia and the days are longer um, and we're further west, I mean, it still gets dark. I mean, it was pitch black by 5.30. I think by 5.00. A little after five, the sun was going down. Um, th- did you end up hiking in the dark a lot? Yeah, you know, it was it, well partly because I got sick at the end and my my energy levels uh, uh, got uh, really deteriorated. Uh, I wasn't hitting my my miles an hour. So it, when you're hiking the AT, three miles an hour is kind of the gold standard once you've got your trail legs, once you're fully developed. And I just I just couldn't I couldn't maintain that. So I mean, like in order to hit my goals. I was hiking towards the night and man, like the, I think that was the biggest thing is like looking back at the beginning of the trail when I had these huge long Northern days that were like 16 hours long and then finishing up and, and really only having 10 usable hours in the day, um, in order to, uh, you know, hike and, and stop for snacks and all that jazz. Um, it, it was huge. Yeah. So I ended up hiking for, I, well, I walked in, around when I was walking in at the end of the night when I met you. So about half an hour, 40 minutes after, like, you know, darkness has really settled in. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, I mean, you know, we were sitting up on a ridge to help the listeners out here, and we had a campfire going, and I'm sure we were loud. Um, Did you hear us and smell the campfire long before you saw us? I smelled the campfire, yeah. Uh, But no, um, the... uh, uh, the sound didn't carry at all. I mean, that's why wow, really? I've always been really big on carrying whistles because I actually, I've done some um, uh, kind of off-piece, middle of nowhere hiking, no trails with a, uh, a friend of mine in like, you know, in New Mexico. And when, if there are a lot of trees around, you get like, wow, 100 yards, 80 yards away. Like you, you can't yell through them. 
like your voice won't carry a whistle will carry like a, a you know a, a decent ways but like I, you guys i didn't hear you until oof i, I was right on top of you yeah, I didn't even know you were there until you walked right by us. And so, it, it, I mean, it was obviously very exciting for me to see a Southbounder. <laughs> and I, I told the guys, we were sitting around the fire, I'm like, you know, this is season for Southbounders. Yeah. There's a chance we could see one. And then you walked by, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> awesome. You were so you were almost as excited as I was to, like, you know, to see some real human beings in a campfire. Yeah. True. Well, you know, my buddies, um, they've got a lot of backpacking experience. They've hiked a lot, but they haven't through-hiked. And I, I think they were sort of like, you know, there was a point in the night where they were tired of you and I talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, hey, give me the opportunity. Fun. I won't shut up about it. <laughs> oh, well. Good. I do a podcast for a reason, right? <laughs> so, I mean, do you think, back to the shorter day scenario, do you think it really, does it matter on a southbound hike? Because it was probably pitched back by 7 o'clock when I was hiking northbound. No, not really, in all honesty. Like, I mean, like, it, it's, it just, it, it affects your planning a little bit. Um, and, but at that point, you're kind of so anxious to be done that um, it, it, if, if you're being safe and smart with your body and you're, like, you know, not a crazy marathon, you know, ultra marathon runner, um, you probably only have 10 hours of hiking in you in any given day it just means that you don't stop for a two-hour lunch and you sleep a little more so i mean i don't think that that really affected uh anything negatively at all it's just a different part of the experience i mean i if i hadn't done that i wouldn't have been attacked by wild pigs in the middle like i think the day uh the evening before i saw you is when i got uh, actually attacked by wild pigs well not attacked i i startled some wild pigs had a small one uh uh, run through my legs, and a uh, larger one about 10 yards off that I never saw run at me like a grill in the mist, you know. I'm, but it's a great story, so. You know, I, I hike in Georgia all the time, and um, I'm amazed at the number of wild pigs that are, or wild boar or whatever you want to call them that are around. I mean, I've, I've run into them multiple times, and I hike with my dog a lot. And uh, if I'm near the trailhead, he's always on a leash. But if if we're deeper in the woods, he's not, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, they're they're out there, man. There's no doubt about it. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, hey, so we were kind of talking about one of the myths, which is uh, is the whole you know services catering to through hikers, and you said it really didn't seem to impact you that much. I'm just kind of curious um, when when you get to some of the hostels and you're with the southbound crew, which is a smaller crew. I mean, does that not kind of help you a little bit with the hostel owners? Because I would think the northbound surge would be almost overwhelming to them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, any hostel uh, owner that I talk to about the difference between northbounders and southbounders seem to prefer uh, southbounders because we are like, like northbounders right now, there are so many who leave at the same time and they have such a. Uh, uh, there's so many trail angels that are catering. I think that's the big difference, actually, between uh, if you're talking services for Southbounders and Northbounders, is there's just there's food constantly. There are barbecues that you could hit just about every day in certain sections. Uh, so, like, the complaint I got from uh, hostel owners about Northbounders, and not a complaint, the, 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 is that they had noticed that they kind of expected more where a Southbounder would come in and be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing experience I've ever had in my entire life. Thank you for, you know, having a roof 
and a foam mattress. And, you know, is that a shower? You say your hot water is down? I don't care. You know, I mean, like, it, it was a it was a slightly, you know, like, I think they were excited to have people who were so desperate for civilization, so desperate for, for, uh, for food. Well, and I mean, Southbounders probably hadn't been spoiled on trail magic, so you you know you would obviously appreciate it more if you hadn't seen much of it. Yeah, I mean, there really just wasn't that much trail magic on the on the trail for for me. I mean, I'm sure that like you know, if you time your out your southbound trip, you'll see more trail magic. And and trail magic is amazing. I mean, I, the thing is, when I when I say there's less trail magic, I had less coolers on the side of the the trail. So when you're hiking along, and all of a sudden near a road. You, you see a, a, a cooler that has, you know, anything from beers to little Debbies in it, and that's that's mind blowing. But I actually had such great um, trail magic as a as a southbounder where people weren't expecting me and looking for me, and so I'd mention that I was a through hiker uh, to to random people, and they'd ask me what that was, and I'd tell them, and then people would put me up in their homes just because. They'd ask, like, hey, do you have some place to stay tonight? I was like, well, yeah, the woods. It's like, well, I have a house. That's <laughs> yeah. where I live. Yeah I, I, yeah, I live in the woods. It's like, well, how about a house tonight? I'm like, yeah, well, that works out great. <laughs> and then you get to, you know, exchange, like, hey, hey, this is – it's like the old, like, you know, traveler's gig where you, like, exchange your story for a bed and a meal. And, like, I, I, had, I had a lot of that. And I think that was, like, you know, that was just brilliant for me. But yeah, as far as like the the barbecues on the side of the trail, I actually never saw that. Yeah, so and I and I didn't have that at all really when I went through. So I mean, I, you and I talked about this a lot, and that was just how I think a southbound hike is um, I, I, the northbound hike of the early nineties. I hundred percent agree. I mean, like talking, uh, oh, having planning it, been planning it since, you know, the the nineties. Uh, it, it really has changed so much. I mean, something like, you know, upwards of 5,000 people, over 4,000 people are starting Northbound Hike. I mean, and in the middle of the bubble, I mean, I was passing 30, 40 people a day, you know, going, yeah, this is this is in New England, and I'm going south and passing, you know, passing people. And so that's when the vast majority of people have already, passed, you know, dropped out. So, I mean, that was like, you know, several days of just seeing you know, just giant chunks of people. So the more people who hike it, the more people who want to do trail, pardon me, uh, the more people who want to do trail magic, you know, the more people who, you know, are making weed available on the trail and like, you know, the more people who, you know, kind of, you know, develop this like party culture on the trail, you know, I mean, like it, it's, I think that the more people who hike the trail, the better off this world is, but it is changing the trail and it is becoming a more, you know, uh, it's becoming a, a, like a quote unquote funner experience. Uh, hey, so, so let me ask you about, because there's so many more people on the trail, the hotel owners and the hostel owners and the, um, even the, even the people that just kind of randomly pluck you off the trail to take you home, um, how are they dealing with the sheer volume of traffic these days? Do you think they're, um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I'm just curious if, um, it's starting to wear on, them. I guess that's what I'm saying. More places are opening up. It's like, that's, that's, it seemed like just about every hundred miles or so, there was a new hostel that had opened up. I mean, including a bunch that, uh, I think there were three along the trail that had opened up 
since AWOL's last, you know, update. So they hadn't even gotten the opportunity to uh, uh, advertise and the the guide for 2015. Uh, so I mean, like they're just it, it's it's definitely a supply and demand thing. Yeah. Did you have a favorite hostel that you uh, visited? Uh, God, there were so many. I mean, like really, Shaw's is just crazy high up on the list. I mean, just wonderful people. Um, uh, the uh, Bearded Woods Hostel in Connecticut was 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 brilliant and and comforting and weird and 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 fun. And that's one of those like that's one of those places that was like fifty dollars, but giant dinner, giant breakfast. Uh, the owners sat down with you and really, you know, made sure there was great conversation. They did your laundry. It was basically you show up here, you put your feet up, and you were every whim that a, uh, a through hiker could possibly want uh, was just taken care of for them. Like it was like that. That was really high up there. Oh God, trying to think of the others. Um, I think those are my two favorites, and they're both up north. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, some of the coolest hostels are in small towns like Dalton, Mass. Oh, or, yeah. Uh, Hot Springs, North Carolina. Did you have a favorite trail town? Well, I, I think that the, the bookends are, are, are the places. Uh, if you're thinking about doing a northbound hike uh, and you walk into Boiling, Boiling Springs and expect trail towns to be anything like that, think again. That is one of the prettiest places that you're going to see on the entire trail. Like you know, Pennsylvania, right? Oh no, sorry, not Boiling Springs. Uh, hot, springs. hot Springs, Hot Springs, so, North, North Carolina. Yeah, okay. yeah, sorry. Gotcha. Like Hot Springs, uh, Hot Springs was just absolutely ama- amazing, and Monson was absolutely amazing. I think those were the two, the two places that I'd want to, I want, I'd want to visit again. You know, if not, not hiking, just, just go there. Yeah, I, I had a great time in Hot Springs when I went through there. Um, the, did you hit the hot tubs when you were in Hot Springs? No, no, I just, I was hiking on my own, and they were all sold out, and. There was uh, one guy with his family who uh, who offered up a, a spot in his hot spring, and uh, with his family, I think that you know me being a through hiker and the fact that I refused to hit a hot spring with clothes on, I figured it'd be just a little awkward. So <laughs> gave that a yeah, pass. Yeah, those are the, the hot springs in North Carolina are a little more straight up. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so. Shelters. I'm just kind of curious because I mean, Virginia seems to be the state of the mega shelters. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Uh, you know, not not by name, um, but you know, Virginia had it. Like, you know, they have some amazing shelters. But if you go anywhere right now where the Potomac Appalachian Trail Club is building shelters, you're going to be throttled. I mean, there there are places that. Should be on that the like a HGTV million dollar cabin show. I mean, just places on these ridge lines with views that are two and a half stories with a loft and you know giant timber roofs. I mean, it's just like I think Maryland and Northern Virginia and like that entire region had just exceptional shelters. It's almost like treehouse masters, right? Oh, like, seriously. You know. Yeah. Um, hey, so one of the things we touched on earlier was the through hiker community. I mean, how how critical do you think the community is to you finishing, or did it not have a huge impact? I you know, I don't want to undersell it. For me, like I, I really was hiking on my own. I preferred being on my own. Um, 
but I loved everybody I was, you know, bumped into. Like I never was like, it was never a frustrating thing to see another person on the trail. Uh, but it's a resource, you know, I mean, it's something you can tap into that, that, that's amazing. And there were so many people that I'd hike with that, that would say that they liked hiking alone. And then I'd always see them kind of hiking, uh, like towards the next person. So like it, it knowing that there are other people on there is like, it, it makes a, a, not, not a terrifying experience. And the Appalachian trail is known as the, um, the social trail. Like it is the trail where, where there are people to be had. But yeah, for me, for me, it's not something I, I really access that much. Yeah, I mean, so basically what you're saying, it was not critical to your finishing the trail. Is that true? I, I don't want to say that. I, I, like, I, I feel like I'd be too cocky if I said that. I, but no, I guess, I guess not. Like, uh, uh, I, no, it had to have been. It had to have been. Everybody was great, and it's a difficult experience, and knowing that other, there are other people on there kept me going. Well, I mean, where I was going that, I think everybody's different. Oh, right? absolutely. So some, some people, and you bartended, so you're obviously a fairly social person because you stopped and hung out with us for the night. <laughs> but, um, I mean, some people like to spend time with people, and some people just need time for reflection, and some need a combination of both. Yeah. Um, I, I can honestly tell you I would have never made it in a million years if I didn't have people around me. Because when things really suck, they, they, they built me up, they kept me up, because misery loves company, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you were Earl Schaefer or Grandma Gatewood and you were, like, doing the trail, just you, um, you think you could have made it? I, you think the community matters that much? I think that I, I don't know. I don't know. See, I don't want to I don't want to say I'm an Earl Schaefer, you know, that I'm capable of just going out into the, you know, onto an established trail, but into the woods on my own and, and wondering if I'm going to see somebody for a few days. Uh, but it, it is what I did, you know, to a large extent. Um, but I, I, like, I did have, like, you know, the support systems that are there. There were hostels. I like, there was rarely a place, you know, where I had to go more than four days without passing a hostel that I, uh, that I couldn't afford either time or money to, to stop and hit. But I, but I, I, I loved being alone, and I loved uh, the fact that it was hard. Like I'd never had a day where I was frustrated on the trail. Like even when, like I mean, I loved every minute. It's I, I know I'm sure I'm an outlier, outlier on this, but man, I loved every minute. Yeah, I, I can honestly say that I, I enjoyed hiking alone, but I enjoyed being in camp at night with other people. And I spent about six nights alone on the trail. You, you have any idea how many nights you spent alone? Oh, God, if you, oh, I'd say I spent at least two-thirds of the nights that I was on the trail alone. So, God, that would that would involve math. Um Wow. That's a, that's a lot. I mean, that's significant. Oh, yeah. And I will tell you, shelters get creepy at night <laughs> when you're on your own. When mice, mice are sitting on your head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I, I think I dealt less with mice. Like, I think the mice actually came out less uh, when I was on my own. I didn't, like, you know, reach the, the critical mass for them to care. Uh, so I didn't hear that, like, that many mice. And actually, the most mice, I, I, I heard a lot more mice in the south than I did in the north. Um, a lot more, just massively more. Um, so let me ask you this question. Is it my imagination 
or are the Great Smoky Mountain shelters the ultimate mice shelter? I, they're up there. They are high up. <laughs> I thought so. I was just curious because I hike in the Smokies a lot, and I don't think I've ever been in a shelter that wasn't uh, overrun with mice. I mean, do mice bother you? No. I've... And I asked that question because they it's not something I would normally get excited about, but once you kind of get used to them, they don't really affect you, right? No, I really didn't care. I honestly, okay, so in the, in the first two weeks on the trail, uh, I stayed in the, uh, a shelter, and both myself, my, my sleeping bag, and the guy next to me had to deal with a mouse chewing on a sleeping bag in the middle of the night. And I found this out because the guy next to me woke up screaming, like, you know, like just with a fury in his voice I don't think I've heard from another human being. And it turned out that, like, this mouse had chewed, I think it was like 40 holes in his $900 sleeping bag. Like, he had one of those, you know, Z-Pack, 900 plus fill sleeping bags and my, my, I had a couple holes in mine and that was the last I had to deal with mice for the longest time so I mean that was a frustrating annoying experience but it, I was like well okay this isn't, isn't going to happen again otherwise you'd hear them skittering they'd, they'd crawl over your face in the middle of the night and you'd be like ah eh, you know this is their house not mine and you'd, you'd keep going you'd wake up and you're so tired you you, you sleep right through the night uh, and then towards the end of the trail I had my sleeping bag or my backpack hung up the, the same way it always is in the shelter. And a mouse crawled inside my bag and ate a nice big hole in my $300 tent. That was, was that the night that I saw you? Oh yeah. No, no, that I, was that night. That was the I night. Was, that was on Trey Mountain, yeah, right? Yeah, on Trey Mountain. I was furious. I was, <laughs> I was, I was ready. Like I've talked to the other through hikers who have like literally spent a little time in that shelter looking for a mouse to kill it. Just to get that, that sense of vengeance, and uh, yeah, I, I I was tempted, but I was I was so close. I had to hike on. You know, the, I'll tell you this quickly, uh, Popeye. There was a a guy named Ranger Smith that hiked the year I did, and we were in the Smokies, and he took a candy wrapper and set it right next to his sleeping bag with a a very thick um, hiking stick right next to the candy wrapper, and it was pitch black. And as soon as the candy wrapper would start to uh, make noise, he would slowly lift up the uh, the hiking stick and slam it down. And he killed like seven mice over the course of the night. But I, I could not sleep because every time he slammed that damn stick down, it woke me and everybody else in the shelter up. But um, he uh, took out many mice that night. Yeah, I'm, I'm a you know, live and let live when it comes right down to it. Now, if I had found... Like if I had gone through a like you know you know full detective process and you know had some done some due diligence and found the mouse who had chewed a hole in my sleeping bag, uh, there, there would have been a special fate for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you carried a tent. Did you, how, how often did you sleep in your tent, or were you mostly in shelters, or did it kind of depend on where you were and when? It really depended on where I was and when. I actually uh, I like I like my tent more than a shelter. And I, I'll tell you, uh, uh, tent technology has come so far. I mean, my tent weighed less, well less than uh, uh, two pounds. Uh, and it was, a, it was a tiny space, but it was cozy and I was comfortable and it was my own. And, you know, when you're sleeping in a shelter, you, you, you're not only sharing it with mice, but, you know, some higher primates, you know, some, some people who, yes, 
snore, fart. Can, can saw some logs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my, my plan in shelters was always to snore louder than the next guy, and that's how I slept in the night. So, um, uh, but, you know, you never know. We're going to have some people who are just chatting all night, and, you know, you can sleep through anything but a good conversation. I had that happen a couple of times where I really just wanted to fall asleep, but people were just saying really dumb, interesting things, and you just can't pass <laughs> out. Uh, sort sort of like us on the podcast. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, the, the tent was always my preference. Um, you know, the thing is, is it, when you go into a shelter, two things happen. Like you, you you shave ten, you know, five minutes off setting up. Shave probably ten minutes off breaking down. Uh, and if it rains, you don't have anything that's wet. Like you know, I mean, my tent was great. Everything inside the tent was would stay dry. But my tent. Uh, I never waited, but I really want to say it would gain six to eight ounces if it rained on it. So, I mean, when, when, you know, something like that gets wet and you're carrying the weight of it around, I mean, it's just extra weight that gives you no comfort, you know, that you're carrying around. So I, I'd avoid that pretty much all costs. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would much rather sleep in my tent. I have to tell you. And I mean, through hikers these days are blessed. I mean, tents are lightweight you can get a decent tent for two and a half pounds right i, I can't remember if you uh, uh remember this from the uh conversation uh the night we met on the mountain but i mean my kit was crazy light um in the, the middle of summer i was at 12 and a half pounds uh, yeah that's awesome i mean that's base weight that's without fuel water or uh food but at the same time i mean that's nothing yeah, back back in my day, which you know, wasn't crazy long ago, but I mean, most people were probably carrying, uh, I mean, for sure, forty pounds, yeah. anywhere between forty and fifty-five. So, you know, the gear the gear has definitely changed the game, without a doubt. Oh yeah, and I really, really think that if you're uh, if you're looking at a through hike, what makes it easier is the lighter weight. Um, like it, it just you're just walking in the woods so like when when you when you i mean i'm sure you remember the the day you're walking into town and you don't have any food and a little bit of water in your pack and it feels like your pack only weighs like you know four ounces i mean you like th- those days you're you're only carrying like you know a a grocery bag on your back you know i mean just just a tiny amount of weight so I mean, it really has changed it's been a quantum leap yeah no i would agree i would agree all the more reason to get out there and uh, do it through. Oh, absolutely. All right. So Popeye, we were talking earlier about northbounders versus southbounders. When did, when and where did you meet your first northbounder? So I want to say, so I went up and down Mount Katahdin on my, like, you know, uh, my first day, second day I hiked into the hundred mile wilderness. Third day I met my first, uh, uh, northbounder and he was, awesome like he was he was so excited i think not just to be done but to like to be meeting people on their their first day so that's crazy you met your first northbounder like around be june, june 13th june 13th apparently there had already been three oh, uh who it was summited that means they started probably in uh at least february possibly january right yeah i mean like uh, well i don't know because like the like there has been a new trend on the AT that I didn't know about when I first started hiking, which is speed hiking. So there are people who, uh, who are trying to bang it out in three months, you know, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't say proof a point, but, you know, show the show the entire world that they're totally crazy, you know, wouldn't be too far from the truth. 
And, and how many days for you? Uh, it was um, uh, five months and uh, four days for me. All right. Uh, you were a month faster than me. I was 188, so I was actually I was over six months. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a good time. Well, I, that, you know, when when I was getting reasonably close, my last like you know month and a half, um, I actually I wouldn't say I slowed down. I was still probably you know I was hiking in a decent clip, but um, people were kept telling me uh, nobody regrets hiking the Appalachian Trail too slow. That's true. So I mean, like I. I I'd stop here and there, you know, I mean, like every once in a while, an 18 mile day, a 17 mile day would be plenty, you know, or, or maybe never double zeroing, but, you know, maybe a, a shorter Nero and a full zero at a town would be a, would be a, an option. So you were talking earlier, Popeye, about kind of just the North Founder, South Founder thing. I mean, is there a, is, is it a competition now? Because it never existed before in my day. Oh, competition between northbounders and southbounders, or, or maybe a um, what's the right word here? A uh, rivalry, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Rivalry. Really, That'd be the right word. I, in honesty, it was really weird. I felt a lot of animosity from a strong minority. Like you know, there were a lot of people who were not happy to see me. It was like hmm. I, I think there were a lot of people who felt like. You know, I was encroaching on their, you know, their group there, like at a at a shelter, like you know, this is our space, not yours, kind of thing. It was really weird, and I just didn't get it. And I think that, but I think there were there were southbounders who come in and and hike the the hardest eighty percent, and 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 run into northbounders and are like, hey, you know, I know what you did, but what I did is more impressive. And there was a lot of that that went back and forth. And I honestly, hmm. I honestly didn't get it. You know, I love a rivalry. I mean, I, I, I come from uh, Cleveland, where you know, uh, you know, it's got some great sports rivalries and uh, and, and some great city city rivalries. And I, I really, I really enjoy that. But, but it, 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 it seemed, you know, uncomfortable at times. It was weird. Like I didn't get it. And like I, I uh, talking to uh, North Bounders and South Bounders, it seems to have become a part of the experience. Now I say that wow. it's a, it's a it's a strong loud minority. The majority of people you bump into are gonna are the best, craziest, most ridiculously wonderful human beings that you're gonna bump into ever in your life. So, but it was it was noticeable and it was something I, I did take away. It's interesting you say that because in in my day I had a I had a huge respect for Southbounders because I felt they had it a lot harder than I did. And that the fact that they had um, made it as far as they had, I was like, wow, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's interesting. It's interesting to, to hear you say that. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, your trail name. How'd you get it? Oh, okay, yeah, so Popeye. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, okay, so I, I'll, my trail name came from uh, being a, a dude in his uh, uh, you know, late 30s who has a you know, a bit of gray hiking uh, with a bunch of 20 year olds in the hundred mile wilderness and, <laughs> uh, and, and keep it up generally, you know, I mean like, you know, just like I'm, I'm relatively fit and I like walking. So, so, so kind of nailing it, but you know, there's long days and, and every once in a while somebody will hike, hike past you and, and, and you, and you won't be able to keep up. And they'd look at me and, and just figured that they'd lost me for the day. And I would stop, I'd eat a Snickers and I'd chug, 
uh, two, three tablespoons of honey. And then I'd hike past them with a vigor. And, you know, so I was Popeye with the spinach. I just, 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 just move on. The problem was, is like literally within 24 hours of getting the name Popeye and, and, you know, people are trying to give you trail names constantly. I mean, I think that's, that's part of the trail is like, you know, don't, don't try to give yourself one and then let, let the natural process happen, which means everybody is, it, it wants to give you the moniker that, that sticks with you for, for the rest of the trail. Uh, so I, I, I finally accept Popeye after I don't know, a dozen different ideas. And then within 24 hours, I meet another guy named Popeye. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got my trail name in 2001. I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, yeah, there's at least three Popeyes every year. I follow trail journals. So I'm like, but at that point, I made my decision. So Popeye. Well, you could always you could always do Popeye like um, 15. (laughs) I was Popeye Junior for a long time. Yeah. Whenever there's another Popeye, I I figure I'm Popeye Senior only if like, you know, somebody's post 2015 with a through hike. So, I mean, was the thru-hike your first backpacking trip, or were you pretty experienced when you went out there? I, I'd done a lot of backpacking. Um, uh, so, I mean, I went out with my uncle on, uh, down, you know, um, to do the Muhusik Knots uh, section. But, you know, through my 20s, uh, I would go out at least once or twice a year with my uh, my best friend, uh, whose name is Ed as well. So, uh, and, and we'd go out for like a week or so. So, I mean, I... I've always been aware, you know, of, of, of equipment and, and how to do the thing. And it's always been, you know, a question of refining. But the through hike, it really is a totally different experience. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, it's, uh, how do you describe it? A weekend, you just don't decompress like you do on a through hike. You truly decompress on a through hike, yeah. you know. I mean, you just think. Or, or any, any, I'm sure a week or two week trip would be the same. Yeah, I, I can't speak to the lashing, the, the, the long, uh, long ass section hike. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a different experience. And, like, the choices you make are different. The choices you make on equipment are different. The choices you make mentally are different. So it, 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 it was amazing. When, when did you decide that the AT was something you had to do. God, had to. I think that actually was, I, I wanted to in my teens. Like, you know, it was something that was on my short list. But I ended up spending my, like, you know, my adventuresome 20s traveling internationally. Uh, and then in my uh, 30s, I quit smoking after 20 years. And, you know, I knocked out a year. Wait, wait, wait a second. You started smoking at 10 years oh, old. Oh, no. Well, in my 30s. So, like, I... I uh, oh, wait, wait. How old are you now? I'm 37. So, like, I... You started smoking at 17. I, okay. No, I started smoking at 14. <laughs> hey, Mom, Dad. Uh, if you if you uh, uh, listen to this podcast, I'm just lying to this guy for shits and giggles. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I started smoking at 14, and uh, I quit... I don't know, a couple times for over a year. And then, and then most recently, like, you know, I've, I've quit smoking for about a year and a half, but I realized when I quit smoking, like my, my, my brain goes all sorts of out of whack. I have, um, some, uh, post acute withdrawal syndromes, uh, like stuff that, that isn't necessarily associated with the regular quitting experience. So like lots of weird anxiety attacks. And I figured, 
the best thing that was like, you know, I had six months after quitting smoking when things were still kind of rough was walking. I was like, well, you know, I know how to walk. I know how to backpack. You know, might as well just do the Appalachian Trail. And I think that's when it, it became like, this is something I'm going to do. Hey, um, if you don't mind, can we revisit smoking for a second? Because I have a question for you. Yeah. One of the things that surprised me most during my through hike was the number of people that would climb a mountain and get to the top, and what would they do? Oh, he'd smoke a cigarette. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just, I did not understand that. I was absolutely out of breath when I hit to the top of the mountain. Oh. And these people would fire up a cigarette, and I'm like, I, I can appreciate the satisfaction of that, but not when I have no air in my lungs. Oh, I will tell you, I, I, have, I have two, well, like, you know, one, one experience and one theory. Like, you know, for me, when I was in my 20s, you know, having smoked for 20 years, I, that was definitely within my, my, my range of smoking. I, uh, I would hike with people who were fit, and I would just hike right past them, climbing up mountains with a cigarette in my mouth. You know, I mean, there's... Like there's lung capacity that that is genetic that just transcends uh, whether or not you're 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 fit and capable capable. I would like to tell listeners that if you're a smoker, that you absolutely can through hike the oh, Appalachian Trail. Oh yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it, <laughs> would you you agree with? Oh, 100 percent. And it is a terrible place to quit. I I I think I only met like one person who actually fully quit smoking in the Appalachian Trail. Because it's there, and like you know, it, it's like a it's a point of satisfaction, and I think that you know, being a, a smoker, um, you might have some obsessive compulsive behaviors. You, you might have an addictive personality, and it's difficult to do a through hike without some obsessive compulsive addictive personality traits. I would agree. Yeah, because you have to be a little crazy. You have to be like you have to be a completionist in order to do it. So I think it, it focus. Yeah, it has to, you have to be focused. It has to tap into that, and and that might be why you're a smoker. It might not, but I think you know it, it's certainly not a, uh, a disparate experience. You know, disparate want. So if there is a uh, somebody in college right now that wants to write a thesis and hike the Appalachian Trail, this could be your time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I will tell you. Um, uh, you could hike it and write it because the only time I have successfully consistently written was writing my blog on the Appalachian Trail. I got off the trail. I was like, I'm going to write so much more. And I've written like paragraphs as opposed to, you know, novels. Yeah. Well, 20 years uh, ago, I swore that I would write more on my experience and I haven't done it. But, you know, you kind of chip it off over time. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, so your most memorable moment, Popeye, on the trail, like the the one thing that immediately pops to mind on your experience. Okay, it, it's got to be my black snake moment. I mean, like, the, for the trail, I, I, before saying this, like, the, the trail is really boring. You know, I mean, the trail is a lot of just walk hiking. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're just there. There's a pack in your back, and your feet kind of hurt, but, you know, you don't really notice anymore. And then, like, the trees look the same, and you just keep going. That, that's, well, You know, that that is understated, by the way. People oh, it, talk it, about everything but that, right? It's so boring. It's so wonderfully boring. 
Um, but you know, if if I'm going to say this isn't my most quintessential Appalachian Trail story, I think this is my, my most quintessential story from hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like I think my most quintessential story from uh, my most quintessential Appalachian Trail story is the time that I got in uh, and it was late and I fell asleep really early. And then I actually woke up early the next morning and then I started hiking again because that is the Appalachian Trail for me. But my most exciting, fun story is, uh, so so when I first started hiking the trail, uh, I didn't know what a 24-ounce beer was. Like, you see them in the <laughs> fridge and you just don't understand that people actually consume those things. Uh, so I crossed the, the Virginia border from, uh, uh, West Virginia. I walk, I walk through Harper's Ferry and then within, you know, a couple miles, there's a, uh, um, a little sign that says like, Hey, there's a little quickie stop, uh, you know, quarter mile off the trail, go there, get, get myself a sandwich, uh, get myself a 24 ounce of a uh, Modelo Especial, like one of the, oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. oh, one of the best Mexican beers you can get your hands on. No lime. I had to, I had to forgo that. So I'm sitting there. Well, I'm sitting there. I'm walking, you know, uh, on, on the trail. Pop open my beer, and like you, you make these adjustments on the trail where you know you no longer stop to drink a beer because you know there is no moment where you're not moving in daylight, and you don't concern yourself on who sees you drinking a beer on the trail because you know, gosh darn it, it's your living room that you're drinking in. So you know, I'm just knocking back this like giant 24 ounce mistake of like you know, uh, 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 beer manufacturing, uh, and all of a sudden a uh, uh, I'd say a five six foot long black snake falls out of a tree wrapped around the biggest squirrel I've ever seen in my entire life, <laughs> and I I I I I, I just stopped. I just like this is the most monumental thing I've seen in my entire life, and like the 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 black snake's about to eat the squirrel, as far as I can tell. Like this is this is like you know a nature video that's playing out in front of me, but the squirrel wriggles free while the black snake is striking it over again, over and over again. Gets about two feet away, uh, turns, faces the black snake, and then just runs in and bops it in the face. Runs back, does it again. Runs back, does it again. And I'm just sitting there startled, stunned, sipping my beer. And the squirrel runs up the tree. Another smaller squirrel runs up the tree after it. I figured that the black snake was chasing some baby squirrels. And the black snake gave me this look of anger for witnessing its shame. Disgust. <laughs> yeah, just like, you move on. And that was, I, I, that was, it was... It was on a monumental day because I just crossed into Virginia. Like it's like I'm past halfway. I'm walking into the biggest state, and then that, like nature gave me a little show. It was pretty awesome. That's when you know that you're truly communing with the wilderness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. Hey, I'd agree. So I mean, I'm not sure if that that's most memorable. I was going to ask your high and low points. Um, you want to do low first? Oh sure. I God, there's so many low points. I mean, like, I, I love, I actually like the low points more looking back. Um, it, my favorite low point was when I was in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And, um, and Pennsylvania is made of tomahawk-shaped rocks. And the trail does nothing. Like, it goes up on a ridge, and the view's the same. 
and like you're basically looking at the the the, the same burnout coal mine, you know, uh, for for like 200, 300 miles, and I felt exhausted and tired, and then and then I ran out of food. I didn't run out of food. I was hiking and realized I was incredibly hungry. Stopped, ate everything in my bag, and realized I was still hungry, and I just felt sad. And it's like it's it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't hiked the trail or dealt with depression. Like it, it just, it just fell upon me. Um, and I walked to a road, I stuck my thumb out and nobody would pick me up. And like, it, it's one of those self-fulfilling, you know, prophecies. Like, you know, if you're so tired and exhausted that you're convinced that nobody's ever going to pick you up, nobody's going to pick you up. You know, you look like the sad sack on the road. So people are whipping by me, and I'm just thinking, I need to get to a gas station, and I need to do a two-day resupply, and then I'll hit town, and then I'll take a break, and everything's going to be fine. And this lasts for like 45 minutes, and I'm starting to get like just just so, so bummed, just so, so interminably bummed. And this dude sees me and um, says like, hey, are you a thru-hiker? And when you're hiking, like, yeah, every once in a while you bump into somebody who realizes you're a thru-hiker, realizes how ridiculous and exciting and dumb it is, and they get super excited. And he was... Yeah, like like me when I saw you in Trey Oh, absolutely. Like, so all that excitement that you walk onto the trail with, you know, that person gives you right back. And the, the, the dude um, uh, basically made arrangements to uh, pick me up drive me into town after I after I fought him over it because I knew it would be like just massively inconvenient for him. You know, I mean, I'll take trail magic when it's like when it's on your way into town, you know, uh, but the, the guy went really far out of his way, took me to a, a pilot. I, I bought more food than I should have walked up to the counter and the woman at the counter said, your money's no good here. And it turned out that dude not only dropped me off at the pilot, he paid for my food and was waiting for me outside and took me back into town and like, or not into town, sorry, back to the trail. And, and like, it was, it was the saddest I've ever been. And it was the greatest expression of trail magic I'd experienced because man, like I, I would have been, I would have made it through that moment, but the trail helped, you know, and the, the, the that, that, that guy, you know, kind of showed me the way it was pretty amazing. You know, you started out with your low point on the trail, and you ended up with a yeah. pretty positive yeah. high point. No, honestly, I, I would say that's straight up with the, uh, my high point. My, my big takeaway from the trail was trail magic. It was uh, you and your buddies in the fire, you know. I mean, it was that guy take me into town. It was it was a time that the, the uh, Boiling Springs was sold out, and um, uh, a couple took me into their home and made me pizza. Uh, it was when I was on top of um, uh, the last mountain in the whites, which like uh, I'm losing his name, and a woman who had uh, just completed uh, hiking to the top of all the 4,000 plus foot mountains in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, she she accomplished that, brought two beers up with me, drank one, and, and gave one to me. I mean, like that that was really my takeaway from the trail as people are fantastic. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you take for granted um, how generous people can be when you're in need, right? Mm. 
I think even more than that, I think that um, if you put yourself out there as a traveler, as somebody who's trying to experience something and really open yourself up, uh, uh, you know, up to it, you know, talk to people, engage people is like, I think it's the age old experience of the traveler. I mean, I think that the Appalachian Trail is something more like you will get more. There's something there's something truly magic about when it'll step in and help you out. But as somebody who's done, you know, a certain amount of international traveling and talked to a lot of people who, who've done a lot, if you're just out there and taking that risk, people are excited for you. You know, people want to make sure that you're you're doing okay and having a good time. You know, I, I think part of it is people want to they want to be like you. They want to be uh, not afraid to go and explore, right? They respect the fact that you've done that, so that's. Uh, I think that's part of the draw, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I had a friend uh, years ago ask me, uh, what is a hero? And I, I thought long and hard about it. And then my answer was, it is somebody who does something that's exceptional and beyond what you think you're capable of. And so I like honestly think that you and I and, and through hikers to to people who want that, who want that experience, but really don't think themselves capable of it, we're heroes to them. Like, you know, and within that definition, like, I think that makes sense. I mean, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense because I'm no hero. All I did is poop in the woods for, you know, five months. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fear in the world, too, right? So there's a respect for the adventurer, somebody that uh, um Leaves it all behind and just goes for sure, it. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's it, it, it's yeah, it's something bigger. It's really it, it's pretty pretty fun to be a part of it on either end. It seems. So, Papa, ready for the uh, closing questions? Yeah. And we're going to get to your hospital stay, which <laughs> I don't even I don't even know the details of. So I'm excited about it. Sure thing. Oh well, I, I'm not excited for your pain. Oh no, 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 no. I'm just excited to hear about it. <laughs> Um, so I, I got to ask the question though, cause I, I, you know, I reached out to you via email. I was concerned that maybe we played a part in the return of your illness. Yeah. You, do you want to talk about your illness for a sure, second? Sure. Sure. Okay. So when you're, when you're hiking the Appalachian trail, you ha- like, you make some choices on comfort and safety. And one of those is water purification. So, like, with water purification, there are lots of schools of thought. Um, I chose the school of thought that I would selectively filter my water. Uh, and I made one dumb choice. Uh, and I, anyways, I, even if I'd made all the right choices or I'd just not filter my water entirely, which a lot of people do, I might have gotten sick either way. But I made really honestly one dumb choice. I drank some water. Where I was dehydrated, I like I'd gone so long uh, having great water sources that I didn't think about the fact that there were campsites upstream, and I got sick. I got solidly sick. I got into the Smokies, um, and um, I about halfway through my day, I started feeling the this kind of fever aches and like that 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 drop in energy. And by the end of the day, I was nearly crawling into a shelter uh, and, you know, had had a night where I, you know, obviously couldn't measure my fever. But like I've never felt so cold 
while knowing I was so hot and shaking through the entire night. I was like, it was a 40 degree night where I was zipped up super tight in a tender free bag. So that, that landed me in Gatlinburg for three days where I just shook through it. And wait, now Gatlinburg's not a bad place to be if you're feeling oh, okay. Oh, yeah. If you're feeling okay, it's fantastic. If you're feeling like, you know, terribly, you know, if you're feeling near death, it's, it's a pretty darn expensive place to just lay in a hotel. Well, there's probably some through hikers that would uh, disagree with that. <laughs> that's probably true. Uh, well, what was great was it was on Halloween that I got the most sick. And I'm sitting there knowing that Gatlinburg is blowing up. You know, there is fun to be had. I could have just one of my most amazing evenings on the entire Appalachian Trail in Gatlinburg. <laughs> I, I just got to say, I cannot imagine Gatlinburg on Halloween. Oh, okay, so a cab driver who who was a saint and, and got me back and forth and, and gave me cut rates back and back and forth to the, uh, um, the urgent care that took care of me, um, told me that he was in Gatlinburg there and he's never seen women wear less clothes in such quantities in his entire life. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know. And I was I was But he's never been in a shelter in the rain on the Appalachian Trail. No, 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 he has not. He has not. And I <laughs> no, it was it was hilarious. Like no, it was like it was a party that I've never seen before. It was it was beautiful for and him he, to tell me, but I was And you were sick. I was sick. I just curled up in a ball, convinced I was going to die. My wife got to listen to me, like, you know, uh, um, you know, basically say, like, you know, my last words to her, you know, love and faith and, and, and wonder. And, you know, and then the next day I went to urgent care. So I went to urgent care. I like, you know, uh, twice they took, you know, samples that were hard won and uh, and, and lost them or, or um uh or, you know, whatever. So nobody ever, like, found... I, I never had any lab results to, to uh, find out what was going on. But I went on a couple of antibiotic regimens. So when I'm one, you know, the, the fever broke. My stomach blew up. And and I took, you know, just, just handfuls of Pepto and decided to start hiking again. And so when I met you, I, I actually started feeling better. And then I started deteriorating again. Uh, and my appetite went away. So let, let me ask you when, because I felt a tremendous oh, no, no, no. amount of guilt about this. Oh, like, when did you start going downhill again? Oh, no, I, I, I started going down a couple of days before. I think it was, okay, so I was in Gatlinburg, I don't know, about five, seven days before I saw you. So about, uh, I was in Gatlinburg for two days, desperately ill, uh, just just fevers and stomach and weirdness and and, and, and amazing discomfort. Uh, and then hiked out of Gatlinburg, did a couple of real short days, and then uh, started feeling really great and just hiking. And got a couple 20-mile days in, and then my stomach just said, like, no, your antibiotics have no power over me. And, and everything started going south. So I'd say I was deteriorating by the time I saw you. Now, uh, now I'd already gone ten days without a drink or good company because I'd just been curled okay. up in a ball on waiting. So when I showed up and saw you guys hanging around, I was I was ready. Oh my god! And as I said in the email, like you know, uh, 
uh, I'm a full grown adult. I, I can, you know, accept every bad decision I, I make for myself. And, you know, certainly, certainly I have no interest in blaming anybody else. That was a great decision hanging around with you guys. You guys are on the short list of like, you know, better moments on the Appalachian trail. You, you hike through the, 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 the woods. I'm, you know, spend a chunk of time on my own, uh, after getting sick and, and, and bump into a bunch of people who are super excited about, me finishing the Appalachian Trail, man, I was, I was, I, I can't express the joy I felt. Like, it was great. And the whiskey, oh, my God. I mean, you kept, you kept <laughs> trying to make me mix the whiskey. You're like, no, 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 you have it with yeah, some apple cider. Yeah. You, you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll be warm and comfortable. And I'm like, yeah, you know, if you just pass me the bottle, I'll be even warmer. So, I mean, like, I was, I was giddy. And I, asked, I felt great the next morning. I mean, I felt hungover. Yeah, when when I first saw you, you look you look very good, mm-hmm. right? You you passed me a card, you you know you you told me how to reach out to you. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I had a great time hanging out that night. I couldn't be more excited to hang oh, out with I, you. I, I I had a blast. You should feel zero guilt. It was like I, as a as a hiker, when like if you if you're ever out there as a through hiker for for the the intertube listeners out there. Um, or sorry, not as a through hiker. If you're ever, ever out there and and just on an old section hike and you see a through hiker and you offer them anything, they will be grateful, <laughs> you know. And I was well. So let's talk about yeah. that though, because we had a phenomenal oh, meal that God. night, and you ate ramen noodles. Oh, I forced, you ate ramen noodles. I forced them down. I mean, I was such we, bad. We had like vegetables with chicken stir fried. And you said no. Okay, so I mean, like, I, like my stomach, I had giardia or something, so my stomach had just let go, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't processing. I was, I was only eating through force of will, um, and I lost ten pounds in my last two weeks on the trail. Ten, ten days, two weeks on the trail, which is like, like it doesn't seem like a lot of weight for an average adult male to lose. But when you've already, like, you know, you're on your last two weeks of the trail, you've already lost all the weight you're going to lose. So, I mean, I, I was actually, like, I was tanking. Like, it was, it was like, it was rough. Like, so basically, um, everything that came out of the back end turned from solid once a day to liquid eight times a day. <laughs> I, I knew something wasn't right. Oh, I yeah. never met a through hiker that would turn, turn out down. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I was, I, I, I. Granted, I should have turned down. Yeah, uh, or sorry, I should have turned down the whiskey and eaten forced down some food. But at the same time, you know, I'm also crazy enough to like, you know, backpack the entire Appalachian Trail. So I'm not going to make the intelligent decision. You know, I'm going to make the decision that's ridiculous and fun. So I mean, like it was, I had a blast, and honestly, that was that was so invigorating. And the fact that I like. I can't tell you the value of talking about the Appalachian Trail to you right now, like uh, a, a month out. You know, I mean, I felt exhausted and tired and incapable of expressing like the um, uh, or, or communicating uh, what the Appalachian Trail was to me. And being able to talk to you, if if I had to, you know, hang around with some great people and maybe uh, make some decisions that made me feel a tiny bit sicker, but be able to talk about the trail later. It all works out in the end. It's it's the Appalachian Trail. It's all trail magic. 
Oh, you know, it's that's why I do the podcast, right? Because <laughs> I, I can't let it go. I just absolutely cannot let the trail go. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. Let's let's talk about your hospital visit because um, that is something I know nothing about. Okay, so the hospital visit was well. So the last day, I'd actually like when I saw you and when I was like you know losing weight, feeling sicker, and 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 turning down food. I was still I was still trucking along. I was hiking later into the night than I wanted to. Like I wasn't able to hit my miles for the day in daylight, um, but I was able to kind of hit my miles for the day and keep going. And and everything with Pepto, like, you know, take this Pepto-Bismol, like, you know, at the top amounts of the, the recommended dosage was, was holding true. I was doing fine. And then the last day, I ran out of Pepto, and things became uncorked. <laughs> it, it, uh, it got – it, it, it was terrible, too, because I had this plan of hiking the last day – and just high-fiving everybody who came my way. Uh, and and I was surprised. There were tons of people who were just out there to be high-fived. So in the morning, I'm just, I'm just high-fiving left and right. You know, I'm just like, last day on the Appalachian Trail. Like, usually you don't announce yourself as a thru-hiker because you don't want to be a douche who announces himself as a thru-hiker on the trail. But, I mean, I was just like, hey, look at me. You know, this, this, is, this is my last day. High-five, high-five, high-five. About halfway through the day, I ran out of Pepto, and uh, and my stomach just just let go. And I, like within moments, I was like, "Oh, nobody can touch my hands. I'm I'm just sneaking off in the woods every like you know mile or so." Which like you know you're I'm still hiking at two miles an hour, so like every half an hour, I'm just letting loose. Um, by the end of the day, um, I, I've made arrangements to have my uh, my wife and my mother meet me at the parking lot by Springer Mountain. And they go the wrong way and take the wrong turns. So I'm just kind of stuck there uh, waiting. I was I was planning on hiking up with them. But so I find out that they're they're often in the middle of Georgia and and decide, you know, I'm just going to hike this on my own, which was really the best decision because the worst experience I've ever had with my stomach in my entire life happened on Springer Mountain. I mean, there I, I raised that mountain by at least two feet. <laughs> you you look so happy in your, oh, uh, yeah. in your summit photo. Oh, yeah, it's by, a beautiful day. You look happy. Oh, I had no idea that your bowels will scream. Oh, that summit photo, I forced myself to smile. I'm like, there are so many people who are great <laughs> who supported me. I'm sitting there like furious with the world wait it's it's on edwardwalks.com right? yeah edwardwalks.com if you want to see like all my pictures from the trail and 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 check out my blog post yeah go to edwardwalks.com uh yeah oh i was hating life i was that that's kind of a hidden secret because you would not look at your face and think there was anything oh, wrong I mean, that, that that is an actor's face right there because i yeah. i literally 40 seconds after that i i I took that picture, I turned around and jogged into the woods. And then, like, it was a busy day on Springer. It was a very, very nice day. And, like, Springer's a really beautiful place uh, uh, to camp. And there's a shelter not too far away from the, the summit. So there are just, like, you know, middle-aged uh, uh, ladies and their, uh, um, and their the, the entire crew uh, around him, like, just moving constantly past me. 
while I'm 20 feet off in the distance, just like grunting away. It was pretty, it was rough. It was what it was. And so I, I well, you know, it, it is what it is, right? Like you, uh, you, you deal with what is handed to you out there. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, I was, I was, I spent on the mountain, like, I don't know, probably about 10 minutes, just furious that the daydream of, my summoning of Springer had been ruined. Hey, at least you had beautiful weather. Oh, no. You had perfect weather. Yeah, but then I realized, like, come on, you, you summon the uh, Katahdin and it's cloudy. Or, you know, you like, I, I hiked for five months. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I'm I'm like, well, how, how the last day ends isn't really important. So I, like, I, I get it. I ended up hiking down, and not too long after I got to the base uh, uh, in the parking lot, uh, my mom and wife showed up, and I, I, uh, I had to, well, I tried to stop them from hugging me. They were both amazing, excited, wonderful human beings who, who wrapped their arms around me, and like we went back into town because I was just so disgusting and terrifyingly gross. And we got to a hotel, and I went to the bathroom, and without even knowing it, I made noises that they had to restrain themselves from calling the one 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 and eventually we went to the hospital and uh, the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you made some bad decisions. Uh, here's some antibiotics. Here's some like, you know, uh, um, uh, some Uber strength uh, Pepto. And, and you know, uh, how about you drink tap water for a little while? And like it was it was fun. You know, it was it was it was weird. But uh, I was expecting to drink champagne and eat chilies. But instead, I. uh uh, drink uh, uh, water and and uh, a- ate antibiotics. So giardia, that that's the diagnosis. Mm. There was never a uh, a full diagnosis. Um, uh, there's a big chance it was uh, C diff, which is its own thing. But yeah, probably giardia. Treat your water, <laughs> listeners. You you could find the most perfect spring on the very top of a hill, oh. but it's just not worth it. The, the the spring that I know I know got me sick looked like something out of the Secret Garden. Like it was like this is like moth covered like you know dell uh, in the middle of nowhere uh, and like with a little waterfall and like I just that that's that that was the spot that got me sick. So Popeye, Peaks Otter. Do you remember that area, Virginia? Oh, not offhand. Peaks Otter? Yeah, it's uh, kind of mid-Virginia, maybe southern Virginia. That That's where I got crushed. Oh, yeah. I had a similar experience. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I had to go on drugs for it, too. Yeah. Listeners, for God's sake, treat your water. That's my advice. Or, uh, or accept the consequences. <laughs> yeah, which... You don't want to. Accept. You don't want to. They're terrible. Yeah. Um, hey, so a couple other closing questions here. Transition to normal life. How's it been? It's been it's been uh, difficult. I mean, like it's been it. Guys, it's the hardest question to answer. I like uh, so the first week I knew. Going in that I was going to be tired. Getting sick made me so crazy tired. I was sleeping 16 hours a day. 
and I couldn't do anything but eat here and there. I wasn't even eating eating big meals at that point. Like I just I just started like a very slow recovery. Uh, about two weeks in uh, the the post hike depression, the old PhD totally kicked in. Like just started getting like kind of bummed out without you know without any reasoning. And then like it just within like it took a solid month for me to feel like I had my feet underneath me. And I'd accepted that, like, you know, I'm just back in society and, like, you know, routines are cool and, you know, that, that you know, not hiking is okay, which just makes me want to hike more. Yeah, it's, it's a weird transition. So they, that was one of my questions for you is um, other long-distance trails on your list. Like, number one, where are you going next? Oh, God, I don't know. If, if I was uh, – okay, the only one I could possibly sell to my wife is the um, uh, the transit of the entire British uh, of the British Isles, like hiking from uh, the south of England to the north of Scotland. Uh, uh, Scotland. So I think that that sounds far. It's only like eight hundred miles. So okay. I mean, like it's something you can knock out in like a month and change. But it's you know. And it's not, there's not a lot of vertical, but it's, it's like, it, it is my homeland if, if I'm going to talk, you know, the, uh, like my last name's Welsh, so like I'm, oh, so it's a, it's a home. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that would be a lot of fun. I, I, I should want to triple crown, but, uh, there's so many people on the trail talking about triple crowning that it sounds almost cliche to me. And I, I don't think I could bring myself to do it. So you're Welsh. I'm actually Welsh myself. Oh, Goodrich. Fantastic. Good, Goodrich is an English Welsh name, but we uh, we came to America because we obviously weren't cool over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've always wanted to hike out over there. Actually, have you thought about doing the Camino? I, you know, I've thought about it. I, the, I'm, I think the Appalachian Trail is the one like you know much used trail that like you know holds a lot of interest for me. Like the Camino is like, you know, been grabbing people's uh, uh, hearts and minds for the last two, three years. And for that fact, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. Too many people. I think it's, it's also the religious tie though. They, they a little bit of a religious uh, connection there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's my gig, but it sounds like, you know, amazing. You know, if you want to hike, you know, and, and have a, a beer and a great plate of food waiting for you, it sounds amazing and like and and yeah, not to true. not not to knock that i think that sounds absolutely fantastic that that is the one hike i could probably get my wife to do <laughs> um long trail john muir i don't think anything else is in her short uh short future hey so a couple final questions if you don't mind oh, take your time yeah um what what would you have done differently oh besides treat my water <laughs> yeah that's a good point. <laughs> um, actually, I wouldn't even have done that. It was it, like I think that um, the more you plan for an experience like the Appalachian Trail, the the more you you level expectations, uh, the more you're setting yourself up to be disappointed by what it is. I loved I loved it all. I wouldn't do a, a, a darn thing differently. So is 
southbound the new north i think it's that's the question i think it's the way to go i think that i think that if you hike northbound at this point you have to expect if you're going to sh- like go between april uh, sorry march 15th and april 15th that there're going to be a lot of people out there and if like if you want to have access to a party within a couple of days of you at any point and then you have to make choices in order to be kind of on your own. Um, northbound uh, works for you if if you want to, uh, you know, have op, you know, have overwhelming options to be on your own uh, with occasional options of uh, camaraderie. Uh, southbound is the way to go. I think it's it, it's it's been like a pretty big shift. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a trend coming, and that's what the uh, Appalachian Trail Conservancy is pitching, right? Like southbound flip flop, whatever it takes, just do it. There were actually, I think, more flip floppers than were southbounders, but I didn't meet as many flip floppers who finished. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. Interesting. And of course, this is like totally anecdotal, but um, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't meet that many, like, as many flip floppers who finished as. People are doing full through hikes. I think if you you break it up, I think you might be breaking up um, like the experience and giving yourself options to back out. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, I think there's definitely a point to that, which I'm glad you stated it. Um, what about just general advice on a through hike? Like, what what's it take to make it happen? If, you, if you're going to actually make it from Georgia to Maine, what do you need? What do you need to make it happen? We talked about attitude. Yeah. What else you got? I don't know. I I honestly, it's I don't know how I was equipped to do it. I think the smartest thing you can do is make smart gear decisions. Go on the, the, some forums. It doesn't have to be expensive. Just like if if you want, like you can be as light as you want to be. Um, and if you're light, it'll be easier. It'll be like more fun and you'll feel more capable. Um, otherwise, uh, tap into the support around you. I mean, not like, you know, the, the, on the trail, the, the, the people you bump into, everybody wants to give you help, take advantage of it. Never say no to somebody who wants to do something nice for you. Um, and, and enjoy it, you know? I mean, like, it, it's up to you whether or not you enjoy something, you know? And if you don't enjoy it, there are plenty of people on the trail, you know? I, if you are, if you have weeks that you're miserable, hop off the trail. Like, I mean, I've met way too many people who are fighting through it, you know, day after day. And, like, you know, it, it's as miserable as you want to be. And if it's, you know, if you want to be miserable or if it's miserable regardless of you, hop off. You know, I think that might be a big takeaway for me. I, I think it's a great point because I think there's people that get uh, obsessed with the speed of hiking. And I think it's the worst possible thing you can do for yourself. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like it's it's like a it's a weird place to be, you know, and if like it can be very frustrating to be five miles away from someplace and like that's two plus hours, you know. If you're not having fun, hmm. you will not make it. Yeah, no. And like, and and why why stress yourself? Why like if you can't 
find the fun. Like, you know, focus on finding the fun. If you can't find the fun, move on. There are, it, they, they, is that why you're out there? Are you out there to be miserable? Right. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it, it, I don't think that is why. I mean, you're out there to challenge yourself. But, it, like, if you're willing to be miserable for six months, I can throw you in, like, you know, the, the line to plenty of charities that will take full advantage of that. You know, but if you're if you if you're like getting something out of it for yourself, I mean the Appalachian Trail is just monumental. It was it was a life changer. Can you give our listeners like uh, one final thought on why they should do a through hike and um, why it was the best decision you ever made in your life? Um, well, I gotta say. The best decision I ever made in my life was marrying my wife. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that'll get you points for 50 years. Yeah, I know. Like, well, I'm nailing that. You know, uh, she, she's just an amazing <laughs> you've, woman. You've clearly learned from your through hiking. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I like I was married on my through hike, so I mean, like I like I have a a, a wife of uh, uh, seven years who we just realized we we were married or together for for around nine. Uh, so the, the, the through hike for me, I. God, it's if it's something, go into it without any expectation and want from it what you want of yourself. Like it, it's an impossible thing to express. It it, it was the, the the hardest and the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. It like it took so much exertion, but it was so much fun to be out there and 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 so it was something so easy to revel in and. It was like among the greatest experiences of my entire life because it was it was hard and was beautiful and it was just me and occasionally some friends and occasionally the like you know some animals and mostly a lot of woods. I I, I can't recommend it to to anybody more. One final takeaway statement, if I can challenge you on your hike. Oh God, I, that that'd be difficult. Um, filter your water. <laughs> love your wife. That's a great point. And uh, or your spouse. Oh yeah, let's oh, be spouse. fair. Oh, yeah, let's be fair to the women. Of course, here. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, twenty-four ounce beers aren't just for hobos. <laughs> well, technically, you are a hobo oh, well, when you're yeah. hiking. A little bit, a little bit. Hey, uh, so Popeye, thanks so much for the conversation. It was awesome. Oh, thank you, Bird Shooter, uh, and thank you so much for your hospitality on the trail. I meant a lot. Well, when, when you when you hike northbound next year, you can come <laughs> stay with me on your uh, on your venture north. I, I, I'm going to like you know uh, your, the next podcast you're going to do is you talking my wife into my my northbound through hike. <laughs> that that would be a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, hey, um, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining us on the call tonight, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thank you so much. I had a blast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the N2 Backpacking Podcast. This is Bird Shooter wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this podcast, visit Apple's iTunes store or download them directly at n2backpacking.com from the podcast tab on the secondary menu.
Music from this podcast was provided by the John Zed Band. For more information on this Atlanta-based musician, visit his website at johnzed.com. That's johnzedd.com. Or search for his latest release through iTunes. This podcast is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2 Backpacking. That's the letter N, the number 2, backpacking.com.